In this series, we're exploring what Jesus said about thriving in life. And starting this week, we're going to unpack certain areas of our lives that Jesus said would steal our happiness and diminish the abundant life that he offers. Before we get, in, before we get into that, you know, looking at the issue of anger in our lives, I want to say a word uh, to those who got baptized last week. Uh, last week, we did baptisms here. We had 123 people get baptized last week. <clears throat> that, brings, that brings our numbers up to 398 for the year so far. And every one of those numbers represents a changed life. And so I wanted to say a word to those of you who got baptized. Baptism pictures a new birth into God's family. It's like you've become a part of God's family. You are God's child. You have eternal life. You don't ever have to wonder about that again. But if you remember, we've said in this series, Jesus came to offer us two kinds of life. Eternal life forever and an abundant life here and now. So your journey's not over. It's just begun. And I want you to hang on as we uh, go through these teachings of Jesus, which unpack how we can experience an abundant life here and now. And according to Jesus, the presence of anger in our lives will keep us from thriving. Now, 15 years ago, I was shocked to discover that I was an angry man. I call it my munchkin moment. This is what happened. Years ago, my daughter was in a multi-million dollar production of The Wizard of Oz. It took place at the, the, the grand uh, downtown theater, the Lila Cockrell Theater in downtown San Antonio, multi-million dollar production. And as a part of participating in this lavish play, Parents had to take turns watching the 50-plus munchkins because, you know, they would have a scene early in the show, and then they would wait around for three hours until the curtain call. And so they put the 50 munchkins in this big ballroom uh, with about, you know, 10 to 15 parents. And, well, my night came to watch the munchkins. And it was all going pretty well until I noticed this one little boy, about 10 years old, he was running around with this plastic cattail thing, hitting kids with it. And so I, I said, hey, stop that. And he just ran off and ignored me like I wasn't even there. Now, I'm not real fast, but I can catch me a 10-year-old munchkin. <laughs> and so I ran up to that little boy, and I did my, you know, my angry coach voice, you know. I said, hey. I said, stop hitting kids with that cattail. And he looked at me straight in the eyes and he said, no. And he took off running. And something inside me tripped. And I ran after that kid. Only this time when I caught him, I grabbed his arm. I jerked him around. I pulled that cattail out of his hand and I started to scream at him. I said, you stand right there. Don't you move. Don't say nothing. Don't look at me like that. And I just lit into him for literally 20 to 30 seconds. And as I was screaming at this boy, his lips started to quiver. Then he started to cry. And he shrank to the ground underneath the weight of my words. And when I finished screaming at him, he looked up at me and he said, you're evil. <laughs> and I knew in my heart that he was right. 
The darkness that I saw in my heart that day scared me. I walked out of the ballroom in a daze. I, I started imagining the headlines on the Express News. Local pastor makes Munchkin cry. <laughs> that night became a watershed moment for me <clears throat> because I finally admitted I was an angry man. And maybe you've had one of those kind of munchkin moments too. Have you done anything about it? Are you an angry person? What would your spouse say? What would your kids say? What would your coworkers say? What would your friends say? To help you gauge your anger level, we're gonna do a little self-evaluation exercise, okay? And so this has been adapted from the Anger Workbook by Drs. Les Carter and Frank Minrith. And there's a fuller version available on our Facebook page, our City Church Bandera Road Facebook page, if, if you realize you really need to do the real test, okay? So, and normally, the, your first response to these descriptions is the right response. And if you need any help, I know your spouse will help you, right? And I just want you to sort of count up how many of these descriptions is generally true of you. And they're broken up into three different kinds of anger, okay? So the first kind of anger is called open aggression. I picture this as like the lit fuse. This is when anger gets expressed as rage, intimidation, or blame, like the, like the one I just described in my story. Are these characteristics true of you? I can be blunt and forceful when someone does something to frustrate me. If that's true of you, count it up. I get angry easily. Count it up. Uh-oh, y'all are counting for each other, aren't you? I tend to argue with people often. During verbal disagreements, I tend to repeat myself, repeat myself, repeat myself, or become increasingly louder. I have a reputation for being strong-willed. Second kind of anger is called passive aggression. I, I picture this like the little acid spurts. That's when anger gets expressed in subtle, quieter ways. When I am frustrated, I use the silent treatment to show my displeasure. When someone talks to me about my problems, I stare straight ahead, deliberately obstinate. I am prone to sulk and pout. I complain about people behind their backs, but don't get honest with them face to face, right? Sometimes I become involved in behind the scenes gossip. Come on now. Then there's a third kind of anger called suppressed anger. I picture this like the boiling lava beneath the surface. This is when anger gets denied and pressed down. This is the one that I struggled with. Even when I feel very irritated, I portray myself publicly as having it all together. If a family member or a friend upsets me, I can let days, weeks, and even years pass without even mentioning it. I have a tendency to be depressed and moody. Resentful thinking is common for me, though most wouldn't suspect it. And then the last one, I don't tend to initiate conversations about sensitive or difficult topics. Okay, count them up. If you have five or more of these descriptors, you likely struggle with anger. And if you have 10 or more, somebody should probably sedate you tonight. <laughs> yeah, baby. I recognize my anger when a little boy called me evil. Maybe you've just now recognized that you're angry 
too. Anger steals our happiness, and it keeps us from thriving in life. So Jesus taught his followers how to defuse anger in our lives. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus is speaking, and he said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. <clears throat> so what, what's Jesus saying here? Notice, Jesus is comparing anger with murder. And Jesus is pointing out that a person could technically keep the law by not murdering someone, but you could still have murder in your heart by holding on to anger against someone. So how do you know if you have anger in your heart? Did you notice what Jesus said? He, he pointed to words like raka and fool, which in their day was like cuss words. So if you ever find yourself cursing under your breath or even cursing out loud, you might have anger in your heart because you know what Jesus said? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. The mouth reveals what's in the heart. Or do you find yourself uh, speaking sarcastically about other people, whether in private or maybe even to their face? Or do you ever find yourself, you know, with certain hand gestures when you're driving? Come on now. That may reveal anger in your heart. In an angry heart, I want you to get this, steals your happiness. So just what is anger? Dr. Les Carter defines it in this way. He said, anger is the energy we experience when we feel compelled to preserve personal worth, essential needs, or basic convictions. Another Christian psychologist uh, explained anger in this way. He said, anger is a God-given emotion. I mean, Jesus had anger and expressed it. But while anger is God-given, lingering anger is not. Lingering anger reflects an unresolved tension in a person's heart. So God created you to feel anger at times. But he did not create you to hold on to lingering anger. Lingering anger, it poisons your soul, it stresses your body, and it steals your happiness. And I realized that night in my munchkin moment, that anger was keeping me from thriving in life. But at, at first, I didn't know why I was so angry, you know? I started talking to a close, few close friends about it, and I said, I don't know what I'm so angry about. It took me years to figure it out. I, I, re, I came to realize that I tended to hold on to hurtful words and actions that others did against me. And in my mind and in my heart, I was calling it self-control. So somebody would do something to hurt me, and I wouldn't lash out and, you know, seek revenge. And so I called it self-control, but I never dealt with it. I never processed it. I just shoved it down. And then somebody would hurt me again, I would just shove it down. And over time, it lit a fire of lingering anger within my soul. When I didn't admit and deal with life's hurts, it's just, it lit a flame within me. As I faced my anger issues, I, I got this picture of what lingering anger is like. So I, 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 one night I was uh, gonna light my gas grill, 
to cook some meat. <clears throat> and it was one of those gas grills that, you know, the clicker quit working after three months. And so I would always turn on the gas and light a, a match and throw it in there like, like you're supposed to. And so, uh, <laughs> and so I turned on the gas and I lit the match. And as I was going forward, the, the match went out. And so I stepped back, lit another match. And when I stuck my hand forward, the, the gas just enveloped in a flame and it went whoosh. And it just singed all the hair all the way up my arm. It was awesome. I don't have a gas grill anymore. <laughs> but God showed me something that day. Lingering anger is like an ignited fire with a gas fueling it. And you know what I know about gas fires? You can blow on it. You can blow on the flame. It won't go out. You can spray water on it. Doesn't matter. It won't go out. You can even shut the lid down on it. It won't go out. But if you turn off the gas, the fire will go out. And we turn off the gas by changing the way we respond when people hurt us. You see, there's three typical responses that we will use when someone hurts us, when someone wrongs us. The first is revenge. That one's pretty obvious. That's when we overtly seek to hurt the person who hurt us. The second possible typical response is resentment. That's where we hold on to a grudge and harbor bitterness toward the person who hurt us. And we do that because we think we'll hurt that person with our own bitterness. But of course, obviously, we hurt ourselves worse than anybody else, right? The third typical response is repression. That's when we act like the wrong didn't hurt us or we minimize the hurt and therefore we never heal the wound. And my tendency was that last one to repress, just to act like things didn't bother me and go on with life. And that tendency lit burner after burner after burner in my soul. So how do we turn off the gas? Listen to Jesus, verses 23 and 24. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. You see, Jesus taught his followers to reconcile with people who had hurt them. Too many times we try to deal with anger by trying to get ourselves not to be angry, right? We try to just stop being angry, and it doesn't work because there's, there's gas fueling the fire of anger within you. You've got to turn the gas off. And Jesus teaches us that the way you turn the gas off is by reconciling with those who have hurt you. You see, Jesus gives us a fourth option. Reconcile where we forgive the person who hurt us and seek to make amends. And then Jesus illustrated the importance of reconciliation by describing a certain life situation that these Galilean Jews he was speaking to would have understood well. So I think we have, we have a map behind me. So Jesus is speaking in Galilee, and every year, at least once a year, Galilean Jews would travel to the city of Jerusalem to lift up off their offering and their sacrifices at the temple. And that trek would take, it was about 60 miles, and it would take a long, long day's walk. And so you have to understand what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying that reconciling with people is so significant 
Okay, follow me with me. If you've walked the 60 miles, so picture walking from San Antonio to San Marcos. You've walked the 60 miles. You're there at the temple to present your offering. Oh, and there you realize, I've got, there's something between me and another person. There is unresolved conflict and there's anger in my heart. Jesus says, leave your offering, walk the 60 miles back home, reconcile, then walk the 60 miles back and present your offering. That's how important this matter is to Jesus. Jesus said, we turn the gas off when we reconcile with those who have hurt us. And you know what? That takes work. It takes time. And it takes even rearranging our lives to get it done. And notice, Jesus didn't say who was right or who was wrong or who started it. The person who recognizes that there's anger and conflict is the person responsible to initiate the reconciliation. So this teaching is why City Church is so committed to getting our people engaged in the process that we call peeling the onion. Because at the heart of this process is a certain tool where we lead you to go back through your whole life, which is what I had to do, and identify every person who has ever wronged you and every person you have ever wronged. And to go back and name the person, what they did, and to make a decision to turn the gas off by reconciling, by forgiving the person who has wronged you, and by making amends when you know you've wronged that person in the process. And so... The process that we're going to teach you, that we do teach you, it just it comes from Jesus' teaching. You forgive the people who have wronged you, whether you can do it in person or not. And you make amends with people you have wronged, and that what you do need to try to do in person if possible. And when you make amends, you say these seven powerful words, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Can you say that with me? I was wrong, will you forgive me? Now, there are a few situations where it's not wise to pursue reconciliation in person. If there's ongoing abuse or the potential for further conflict or, or uh, danger, you don't need to reconcile in person. Just forgive that person in your heart. It's also not wise to pursue reconciliation in person if the other person is unwilling to own his part of the conflict. Because, you know, sometimes if you go and do that, it just makes it worse. And so you have to sort of discern that. But the most important thing is to forgive and let it go. That's how you process when someone has hurt you. Whatever you do, do something. Lingering anger will keep you from thriving in life. And I want you to notice, thriving does not mean the absence of conflict and anger. I mean, Jesus just acknowledges it. But thriving does mean responding to the anger in our hearts in redemptive ways. Thriving does mean turning off the gas that feeds our lingering anger. And so that's what I've experienced in my journey as I've sought to apply Jesus' teachings to my life. These are some like observations that, that I want to speak to you as you begin the process of turning the gas off in your own life. First, you have to stop renaming your anger. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. In my, in my life, I let other people help me misinterpret what was really going on. Here's what people would say about me. They would say, boy, that Brent, he sure is a strong personality. 
Boy, that Brent is really intense, isn't he? Boy, that Brent has sure got a type A personality, doesn't he? But you know what they really want to say? That Brent is a jerk, but he's a pastor, so he can't really say that. <laughs> Don't let people rename your anger. For some of you, today is the day for you to acknowledge the lingering anger in your heart and to name it. Call it what it is. Don't let people call it something else. Secondly, stop fueling your anger. I'm deeply troubled by the multitudes of angry TV programs designed to fuel your anger. There are angry conservative programs. There are angry liberal programs, and I don't like either one of them. Now, you know, sometimes people will ask me, hey, Pastor Brent, so is, like, is your church politically conservative or politically liberal? And you know what I tell them? We're about half and half. I think our people voted about the same as our nation. So that's right. You're probably sitting by someone who voted for the other candidate this year. <laughs> and you know what? That makes me proud of my church. Because our trust is in the movement that Jesus Christ began, not a political movement. Now, what I'm really saying, okay, I'm going to bring it back to anger. What fuels your anger? Stop fueling it. If angry news programs fuel it, then stop watching. If it's Facebook posts, then stop reading the comments. And if it's inflammatory tweets, stop following those twits or whatever they're called. Stop fueling your anger. Third observation, notice the most subtle form of anger, which is depression. You see, my anger came out, you know. People saw it and they heard it and they had to deal with it. Depression is anger turned inward. I want to say that again. Depression is anger turned inward. You see, if you think, well, I'm feeling depressed because I'm feeling sad. And so if I could just feel happy, then I wouldn't feel sad. How many of you know you can't deal with depression by trying to fake yourself into feeling happy? That's not how you work. If you want to deal with the flames of inner anger that is fueling your depression, you've got to turn the gas off. And this is good news. The same process that Jesus said could defuse anger can also release you from the burden of depression. I promise you, if you will adhere to these teachings of Jesus, we can do something about that cloud that you've been walking under for so many years. Last thing I want to say is diffusing anger is a process, not an event. And this is important because I don't like to wait around. When I realized I was angry, I, I said, okay, I want to change today. I want to get it together. And it didn't work. <laughs> and that's because diffusing anger is a process, not an event. It took me over three years before I got at all of the core issues and the hurts and the, the, the sources of pain in my life. And, and, and so it's going to take you a while. So here's, I want to say, be patient. Give yourself some grace, okay? As long as you're heading in the right direction, celebrate that. Celebrate the little steps along the way. Keep at it until you get at all of the core issues. And we, as a church, are here to help you process your anger. So we have a couple of very 
practical ways that you, to help you process uh, what's going on in your heart. First of all, starting this Thursday at 7 o'clock, over there in the Kid City building, we're going to start an anger group to help people process and deal with their anger. And so if you want more information about that, you can stop by the center pavilion at the end of the service. If, if that's not really your kind of thing, then I have a book I want to recommend for you. It's written by my good friend, Miriam Callahan, who was a pastor here at City Church for over 17 years. She wrote uh, the H2O workbook to help people face their toxic emotions and hurts like my anger. And it's a workbook, not just a book book, so it's designed for you to go through with a few trusted friends. And so if you're serious about dealing with your anger issues and you can't make the Thursday night group, get this book. We have it available in the bookstore. Miriam's going to be here to sign, up, sign the books if you want her to sign them. And she'll answer questions if you have any questions about it. But whatever you do, do something. Folks, and here's what I do want you to get. It's why I shared my story with you. City Church is a safe place for you to get honest about your issues. And you can't get healed if you don't get honest. Be honest. It's okay. You're welcome here. With all of your junk, you're welcome here. And we'll do everything we can to help you thrive in life. And folks, I'm, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. After that little munchkin called me evil, I prayed, I fasted, I pleaded with God to change me, and I started going through this, the process I described uh, to you, went through it, you know, for a while, and, and I thought I was changing, you know, I thought I was, but to be honest, I wasn't sure, because I didn't know I was angry before, you know, you get to where you're not sure you can trust your own judgment. Well, during this time, uh, my, my daughter was in an acting class, and my wife told me that Anna was having trouble in the class. Her instructor said that she, she acted everything really well except for anger. He said that whenever she tried to act angry, she would start giggling and laugh. She, just, she couldn't act angry. It's like anger wasn't even in her. And so my wife started demonstrating for Anna what an angry person looks like and the way their face is and how their voice gets and how they get real demonstrative. So when Barbara finished depicting and acting out anger, Anna said this to her. Oh, you mean like daddy used to be? Like daddy used to be. Life change is possible. If you turn off the gas, the fire will go out. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, of all people, Lord, I'm so grateful that you came to this earth and you confronted the anger you saw in people. Not because you didn't love them, but because you loved them. And through that teaching, Lord, you, you've taught us now how to resolve anger in our hearts that's just keeping us from thriving. And so, Lord, my prayer is for those of us who recognize that we have lingering anger in our hearts. My prayer is that you would help us as we get intentional about processing our anger reconciling with those who have wronged us, forgiving those who have hurt us. God, give us the courage to do that. That is an expression of faith, to forgive someone who has hurt us, even if they've not asked for it. But Lord, it's for our good. 
And so my prayer for you is that you would have the faith to begin even tonight forgiving people who have wronged you and let the healing begin with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.